0: Here now is the second part of the Charles Bravo mystery murder. See what I did there? In which we find out the terrible thing that happened to Charles.
1: Is it a mystery murder? Yes, it is. <laughs> I do called a murder mystery. Of course it is. Oh. This is a
0: mystery murder. Hence oh. me calling it that.
1: I thought you were being silly, not clever.
0: Um, maybe both. (laughs) Okay, here we are now for part two of, as I said in the tease, and Carrie um, didn't quite follow the Charles Bravo mystery murder. The reason I say that is because that's what's mysterious here. What happened to him? Was he murdered? Was it an accident? Was it something else? The more we learn about his actions during his lingering last days... It's the that becomes the key question. Is it very strange? That's the strangeness in this case. Oh, I
1: see. So it was
0: very intentional. Carrie, still is a little Is his real
1: about name that. Charles Bravo? His real name is Charles Bravo. Aren't those the what do they call it in, in oh, like the, the, the military name. or whatever? Are they? No, Alpha, C's not Charles. Is Alpha, it Alpha Bravo Charles?
0: Is it Delta? No, I don't think C's. What is it then? All I know is WTF.
1: Maybe it's Char- I think it's Wico. Charlie.
0: Charlie, that's it. Yeah. So it's not Charles. Char- Charles seems too stuffy for the army, I guess. <laughs> so, quick recap, as I want to do because I love our well, listeners. hold on a second. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: This is the Weird World podcast, and I'm Carrie. That's
0: a great point. I'm glad you, <laughs> glad you mentioned that. I'm Dean.
1: Hi, Dean. Oh,
0: hi. Hi, Carrie. <laughs> so recap of what we heard in part one of the Charles Bravo mystery murder. murder is we met one Florence Campbell. She would later become, of course, Florence Bravo. Carrie hates the way I say Campbell because <laughs> I pronounce the P <laughs> unnecessarily. No one else does. She married a guy named Alexander Ricardo. It went bad. They separated. During the separation, she met a guy named Dr. James Gully, who was wailed in her. He was a hydrotherapist in 19th century hydrotherapy. That makes him a, an absolute quack. Yeah. And he... And they fell in love. Luckily for Florence, Ricardo died leaving her a big old fortune. So she moved to London because she liked to you know, live well and have fun, go to parties, have a social life and things like that. But because of her relationship with Dr. Gulley, which ended, by the way, in abortion, and it was found out by some of those people in those upper crust circles, she but, became a social pariah.
1: And the reason why she couldn't marry him was because he was already married.
0: Yes, he was married. And that's also a big reason mm-hmm. for the scandal yes. that it caused. But still, she's living a pretty good life, but she needs to have that those social interaction. She wants to gain her good name back. So what she does is she marries someone with a good name and she does that through her lady's companion mrs jane cox in fact mrs jane cox kind of sees that florence really needs this this repair to her reputation so she goes out to find her a really respectable husband she does his name is charles bravo
1: now even though there are lots of
0: warning flags and red flags that we learned about in part one she still yes. went through and she married him he was for sure married her her money, but she thought she could make a go of it and who cares? It would restore her reputation, which it did. And she, she also broke from her family, and that was restored. And she started getting, having parties, lovely Christmas parties, which, as you recall, the mayor of Streatham, I learned That's, in the yeah. interim, I've learned how to pronounce that, by the way. It's as simple. It takes four <laughs> seconds on YouTube. So she, but still, it didn't go well. There started marital strife, started up almost immediately, and she had not one but two miscarriages. And she had some pretty significant gynecological problems. So she was very, very worried about ever getting pregnant ever again. And Charles was not taking no for an answer on that regard. One day on his way to work, Charles fell ill. And we wondered, hmm, just a coincidence? No. A short time later, as we're going to talk about now, he would fall ill again and he would not recover. So we pick it up. On the 18th of April in 1876, Charles went out for a nice horse ride. Of course, he went on a horse ride on one of the horses that he tried to force Florence to sell because he thought they cost too much. That's just the way he rolled. Again, he was (laughs) pretty clearly a dick. Yeah. Typical Charles. His horse, though, on this ride was spooked and it bolted. I don't think he was thrown. I don't know if he was thrown or not, but it, it, it bolted and... It freaked him out. <laughs> he got home. He had to be helped upstairs for a hot oh. bath and get right to bed.
1: Wow! Because
0: remember, at this point, I swear to God, that 19th century upper class British people were the biggest pussies in human history. I mean, They'd always take to the sick bed for weeks or months, months at a time. I, I, how they conquered most of the globe during this period <laughs> is absolutely beyond
1: uh, me. That happened to me when I was seven. And yeah, no you, nobody helped me to a warm bath.
0: You were thrown from a horse?
1: No, it bolted with oh, really? me on it and I didn't know how to even ride a horse.
0: Why were you on a horse? Somebody <laughs> had to
1: come come get me. Um, we were at a ranch.
0: You at a ranch so someone, so a super responsible parent put you on a horse. Oh not not a parent bolted. like workers. Oh, really? It was this was Where an organized
1: parents? Oh, they were around somewhere. Okay. I don't know. So again,
0: super responsible parents <laughs> said, Yeah, take our seven-year-old <laughs> and who's never been on a horse in her life, put on a horse. You put him on horses that are like twenty years old yeah. or months from yeah. dying. This
1: was supposedly the most gentle yeah. horse they had.
0: Maybe horses hate you. I know. I was thrown.
1: I know, I was with you. Over horse.
0: I was thrown head over heels but uh, over, I was thrown Christopher Reece style over mm-hmm. the, the head of the horse. I did not get paralyzed no, though, you luckily didn't. for me. Charles had recovered enough though that he came downstairs for dinner with Florence and Mrs. Cox. That's pretty much the, the households Charles, Florence, her late commanding Mrs. Cox, and a bunch of service, servants. Yeah. So you're probably wondering what they had for dinner. Well, I can tell you. <laughs> they had bloater on toast.
1: Ooh, what's that? It's
0: like a fish paste. I had to look it up, obviously, because Ooh. this is England and their okay. food is horrific. Or at least at this time, especially now, they like, thank God, have curry so they can actually eat something that has, has flavor. And this, I'm sure, had flavor. I'm also sure bad the flavor funny. was horrific. So they also had some lamb, though. So that's yeah. not bad, but I'm sure it was boiled. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. And they had spinach and some eggs. Dinners have changed over the years, haven't they? It's weird. You yeah. know, omelettes were, at least in France anyway, I think in England too. Omelets among, again, these sort of upper class was a dinner thing. They almost eat like an appetizer very often. They really? make a little omelet and have it as an appetizer, usually for dinner, not a breakfast thing. Hmm. The more you know. Yeah. Charles enjoyed three glasses of burgundy during this period, but Mrs. Cox and Florence, they had champagne and marsala wine and plenty of it. They are all drinking. It's another thing that you, you look back in time and, and people drank. We think since COVID hit, we've been drinking because we have <laughs> drunk a lot more than we did before. We, we could not hold a candle to 19th century upper crust people or any couple middle class and above in the 1960s in the United States, right? Yeah. They'd always come home. Where's my scotch? Every every night they're having hard liquor. That's just, that seems weird to me.
1: Well, I, I'm. What? i My parents were in the 60s, and I don't think they were. Oh,
0: I will bet you money they did. I'll bet you they drank.
1: Oh, they drank. Okay. But my dad didn't come home from work and have a scotch. No,
0: he stayed at a bar and had beer all night (laughs) long. Yeah. (laughs) No, he
1: was having scotch at the bar, Scotch, yeah. Or something like that. An
0: occasional Olympia. Yeah. He was from Washington, so I'm assuming. So, yeah, but yeah, people drink a lot more. And and, and so they're drinking a lot here at this dinner. They're having plenty. But you'll see in a minute... was becoming potentially a bit of a problem. During this sumptuous English feast, Charles had received a letter from his stepfather, as Joseph Bravo. The elder Bravo had mistakenly received a stockbroker's report that was meant for Charles, Uh meant for his stepson, and it detailed some recent losses on the stock market. So, he gets his letter he wasn't supposed to and he you know instead of like oh sorry about that here it is he opened it yeah. read it and then he wrote a letter to Charles saying hey I now know I know you're losing money in the stock market what are you doing knock it off dick remember he uh, now he had married money now but one of the reasons he married Florence was to get out of the shadow of his dad who gave him a paltry allowance his job as a lawyer was pretty was not earning him very much income yeah. but still i think his, his father still had a lot of control his stepfather had a lot of control over him and, you know, he um, wrote him a nasty letter. He wrote Charles a nasty letter. So Charles, I guess during dinner, he's reading this letter and his face just turns this furious red. He's getting visibly angry. He's barely constraining his anger throughout dinner. So it wasn't very pleasant. But, of course, the ladies were, were drinking enough that they didn't care. Yeah. More than ever, though, perhaps Charles really needed his own money. I think that to me this this is significant because it really did, it probably brought home to him if it you know he, he knew already that he really needed his own money remember he didn't have control over Florence's money mm-hmm. he had got her to sign over the house the priory to him that's great but as long as they lived it it didn't sell it he didn't have a lot of money she still controlled the purse strings entirely and he wasn't making much of his own money I don't know this for a fact but he may have even got still be getting the allowance from his dad yeah. For some spending cash. Yeah, I you
1: mean, know. you sound sympathetic.
0: I know. No, okay. No, he was a douche. So, but anyway, it just, it, but it, it, it's a stew of what's going on in this guy's mind at the time.
1: Well, and you mentioned last time the law in England had recently changed where before, upon their marriage, he would have had control over everything. Her money for became sure. his money. He, he would have and, got it all immediately. And that changed. And yes. Yeah. Just
0: just not long. I think, I want to say 1870.
1: Shortly before they got so married. So very shortly before, yeah. just a
0: few years. So it was, uh, he was never, I mean, he still was itching for her money, and itching for his own money and own wealth, you know, he wanted, it, which is, given the culture of the time, is pretty understandable, but especially someone like him who was kind of greedy you know, and, and not able to earn it and, on his own. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Despite the very good connections of his yeah, family. Yeah, he had every too. advantage
1: in life. He, he had, sure had an education, he had a good yeah. job. Yeah. He should so, have been doing better than he was.
0: I agree. So the threesome finally ended dinner and they all went upstairs to their respective rooms. This was not too long after, a few weeks after Florence's second miscarriage, she was still having Charles sleep in the guest room. And she was, you know, kind of almost like, oh, it's my sick bed. I, I'll, I'll be able to by myself. And she was. And she would often have Mrs. Cox spend a lot of time in there. I, I, honestly, I think it was just to keep Charles off of her. Yeah. Because Charles, again, was insisting that they start having sex again, even though she, I, maybe I think three weeks or so since her last miscarriage. Yeah. So up, once upstairs, Florence asked the maid, Marianne Keebler, to bring her another glass of Marsala. Charles turns on her immediately and he accuses her of having a- already drunk like a-, a whole bottle all by herself. And essentially, by this p- time, he thought that she was developing a drinking problem
1: mm-hmm. and she may
0: have been. So, and, and when they're speaking, because the maid is still there, sp- they spoke in French. So oh. the maid couldn't understand them, which is so, so <laughs> upper class kind of a thing. They made it <laughs> just switch over to French. Surprised they didn't do Latin. But he, sa- he said, to her, You have sent downstairs for a glass of wine. You have drunk nearly a bottle today. So he wasn't happy with that. Florence just ignored him. Goes, uh huh, that's great. Marianne, go get me my <laughs> wine. And she walked into her room. Charles again was sleeping in the guest room. He turned on his heels and went into the guest room right then. When Marianne, the maid, came back up with the wine, she found that Florence was already asleep. Now was she passed out? Was she faking a, being asleep? We'll have reason to think both of those here in just a minute. Well, this, the passed out is because she'd drunk she a, bottle a bottle of Marsala. But uh, Jane Cox. Who Florence had begged her to, can you spend the night in my room since I'm still not feeling well from recovering from the miscarriage? She was just knitting quietly in a chair. So Marianne started to kind of tidy up in Florence's dressing room. Mrs. Cox asked Marianne, the maid, if she would take Florence's two dogs downstairs and put them away for for tonight. Again, later on, we'll see why this might be significant. So the maid says, sure, I'll do it. So she goes and starts trying to gather dogs. She's called, there's somewhere upstairs. So she's calling the dogs. And Marianne is just knitting. She's next to Florence, who is sleeping. Charles is alone in the guest room. It couldn't have been more than a couple minutes when Charles suddenly burst out from the room and he cried out, "Florence! Florence! Hot water! Hot water!" And then he rushed back into his room. I'll tell you in a second why why that's what that meant, what he almost certainly was was meaning with from that. Okay. Though okay, so he's just their room, Florence's room, where she's apparently asleep and but mrs cox is knitting or crocheting is just down the hall from uh, the uh, his door from charles's bedroom door and he and he rushed out of the door toward that room toward his wife's the main bedroom neither one of them did a thing neither that neither one of them opened the door and went and check and see what was going on marianne she's still out she's trying to gather the dogs she heard it though and so she's kind of looks to it wondering, okay, I guess Florence is going to come out. Florence didn't come out. So seeing no sign of Florence coming out to see what Charles needed, Marianne herself rushed into Charles' room to see if she could help. And she found him just like, Hot and red face and st- sweaty and really distressed. And he's again started screaming for hot water. And then he ran over to the window on the opposite side of his room and he just vomited all over the top of I guess they had a roof right below it, maybe a porch or something like that. Yeah. So he just vomited all over the roof below his, uh, the guest room window. Okay. So he's, he's, that's two vomits in a minute. Unsure what to do. Marianne rushed into Florence's room and st- and found Florence still asleep uh-huh. despite the ruckus going on or at least appearing to be asleep and she found Mrs. Cox just obliviously knitting yeah. and or crocheting. I don't know what she was doing. Some form of needlework. Okay. You, you could not have heard that. There's no way. He screams, Florence, well, Florence? So the maid told Mrs. Cox that Charles was sick. He was throwing up. He was crying out for hot water. Mrs. Cox then sprang into action. She got up right away. She went to a servant and she said, "Go get me coffee and mustard." And Marianne rushed downstairs to fetch those things. The concoction that was undoubtedly it was used as an emetic. It was used to induce uh, vomiting. Okay. So essentially, almost like, oh, did he have stomach poison? Is he is he getting sick from something right. he ate? Hey, get him some coffee and some mustard, because uh, so that'll will um, make him better. We hope. Yeah. Mrs. Cox went into Charles's room. And he's throwing it up again. Yeah. This time, at least he's throwing it up into a basin, not out the yeah. window. He's, and she so he finishes throwing it up in the basin. She takes the basin, she hands it to her service, servant, and she says, Go wash that out. Ooh. She then orders another servant to go fetch Dr. Harrison. Dr. Harrison is Florence's personal physician. Later, when people start looking into this case, this would be viewed as a little bit odd, a little bit even suspicious, because Charles's condition must have seemed very dire. He's thrown up now three times in a hot minute. He, um, like, he couldn't stop vomiting, which which makes you wonder what how a coffee and a mustard, which could be used as an emetic, would help. He yeah. was already vomiting. So, and Dr. Harrison was in stratum which is the town near, they're in Balham, as you call. I Again, mean, these are areas now of London, effectively, but they're kind of like towns, you know, being in the process of being swallowed up by metropolitan London. Yeah. And I think, I hope I have the history right. And so it was a bit of a ways away. He was by not anywhere near the nearest doctor. There were doctors in the immediate neighborhood, and she did know about them. So we'll talk about that later as well.
1: Okay, can I say something Yes, absolutely, please. Please. Somebody vomiting, even vomiting um, profusely or violently, would not make me panic like, oh, this person's going to die. Let's get a doctor here very quickly. Oh, a
0: doctor, yeah. Three times in a minute and he can't stop vomiting. I would want to go get a doctor, especially this time. They got doctors for anything, right? I know,
1: know, but I mean He got a
0: doctor because his horse went too fast. No, I know,
1: but you're acting like they're underreacting. and. Doesn't seem like it to me. I wouldn't say
0: underacting at this point by calling a doctor. I, I would say I, folks have accused a uh, very suspicious that when he comes out screaming for hot water, they don't move a muscle. And he literally said, Florence, Florence, hot water, hot water.
1: Yeah, well, what what the fuck does hot water mean?
0: Hot water was also used as an emetic. Okay. So they think he was calling out for hot water.
1: Because he vomit, wanted to which vomit? Which d- doesn't make a lot of
0: sense, no. But he thinks he's sick. Yeah. He wants to. Do, you know, he doesn't know he's going to vomit immediately okay. again, and then immediately again after that.
1: Here's what I would say. Yes, Lawrence has passed out. Uh huh. And Mrs. Cox doesn't give a shit if Charles needs hot water. She should
0: have. Why? Why not?
1: She doesn't like him. She's not his servant.
0: No, but he's she could an go and make. She, she could her, go out and her
1: friend and boss. I yeah, mean-
0: I, I think you're going the opposite way. <laughs> I, you really are. The, the natural human reaction to go see what, what he needed. He he Perhaps. sounded panicked. The natural human reaction would be for sure. Carrie, come on, uh-huh. I billion percent sure you would go out and see what someone needed, even if you didn't like that person. I'm positive you yeah, would. Yeah,
1: because I'm a nice
0: person. Y- yes, well, Mrs. Cox seemed like a nice person too. Don't I mean, be bad on Mrs. Think
1: Cox. Of a person or two who I might not leap out of my <laughs> crochet. You wouldn't continue my crocheting. comfy crocheting chair because they were crawling for hot water.
0: okay it wasn't like "Mm, hot water honey hot water no it was screaming and uh, and she didn't even move you know she's literally still crocheting or knitting when the maid went up there and said you guys gonna see about that
1: also i mean where did this account come from
0: uh, the entire, remember, the whole service staff is there. No one, no one questions this. This happened. Okay. <laughs> this is direct. So, Marianne went to wake up Florence. So again, Mrs. Cox is saying, "Go get mustard. Go get mm-hmm. coffee." Marianne goes to and, and go get a doctor who's pretty far away. Marianne goes to wake up Florence, and apparently she's still deeply asleep. Sleep, mm-hmm. And although and and woke her up, some sources say that she had just woken up on her own accord. I don't know which is true. I mean, she had had a lot to drink. Yeah. She had a lot of Marsala, so that's possible. Some people, of course, think that she was faking it, so we don't know. And
1: actually, Mrs. Cox had a lot to drink, too.
0: She did, but we know she was wide awake.
1: Well, she was awake, but... Out of it. Well,
0: slurred hearing.
1: <laughs> no, just like you know, makes you a little bit more sluggish to react and all okay. that kind of stuff. You I, are looking to I excuse. Could be
0: also,
1: <laughs> she, she, she could be drunk. and like,
0: <laughs> you are acting like a defense lawyer at this point. <laughs> Florence went to her husband's room. So she she got her up, got her out of bed. She goes to to Charles's room, and she saw how bad he was. And she actually apparently became kind of hysterical. Like she started freaking out a little bit because he's he's throwing up constantly. He looks terrible. And again, remember, the maid said he looked awful.
1: Yeah, I I think it's because he's making a huge mess. That and also, (laughs) remember, he's all red and
0: sweaty (laughs) and clearly distressed and making a horrific mess. So far, though, it sounds like he had vomited. Where was the first vomit? That might have been all over the floor. I don't know. The second one was out the window. The third one, he finally was able to get it in a receptacle of some sort. So Florence shouted for a servant to immediately fetch the nearest doctor, one, I think, just down the street in the same neighborhood, and because she, she said, no, it's going to take too long for Dr. Harrison to get here. Go get a doctor as, as quickly as you can. So that servant goes, runs out to get a doctor in the neighborhood. Bravo had fallen unconscious by this point, and when two doctors arrived, they found him in bad shape. They, they both got there at the same time, by the way, because there was a head start for Dr. Harrison. Right. So Dr. Harrison and this local doctor came at the same time. They found Charles to be unconscious, to not be in good shape. They both quickly came to the same conclusion. They said he had swallowed some pretty powerful poison. Hmm. He was unconscious, so he couldn't tell them what had happened, what he had taken. And no one in the house said, no, we have no idea. He right. just We had dinner just a little while ago. He had the same thing we did. We have no clue. Because it, obviously it helps to know what Bad thing you right. might have taken. Mm-hmm. So the two doctors are tending to their patient, and Florence suggested, "Hey, let's call a third doctor in because Charles's cousin was a very respected doctor named Royce Bell." She said, "Let's call Royce. I know Royce. He'll want to know. He can help." So he arrived. Er, I guess early in the morning. Remember, this is happening like 30 when it first happened. So Bell arrived sometime early in the wee hours of the morning of now the April nineteenth, and then. He had taken the liberty of bringing a fourth doctor Jeez. in tow with him, the guy was named Dr. George Johnson. So they called Bell. He says, yeah, I'll come, but I'm going to bring Dr. Johnson with me. So he did. By this time, Charles had regained consciousness by the time his cousin came. And he seems to have gotten the vomiting under control, but he still appeared to be horrifically ill, really, really in bad shape. The doctors desperately needed to know what he thought had made him so sick and to better treat him and hopefully even save him his life at this point charles though said he had no idea what was causing this and this really is the crux of this mystery it's very odd the only thing he said he had done was he had rubbed some laudanum on a tooth due to a toothache now, laudanum was is a heroin essentially poppy derivative yeah. that was used as a painkiller it was you could rub it on your tooth you also could drink a little small amounts and it made you feel good and hopefully fall asleep and took the pain away right it was abused and used frequently yeah. in 19th century england especially among the sort of upper middle class on up yeah so he thought maybe i swallowed a little too much laudanum and it, it, it's safe again it's safe to ingest he said he he had you know yeah. rub some his tooth, and maybe he swallowed some. It's like, yeah. okay, so? But that would just make
1: you feel good. I, people yeah. swallowed
0: some laudanum all the time. Yeah. That didn't make any sense. Well, and if you only swallowed the, the amount you're rubbing on your tooth, yeah. so what?
1: Maybe he's allergic to it.
0: He's not. He'd taken it before. Oh, okay. It was under prescription. So that didn't track. It also didn't track with what was his illness at all. So the doctors immediately knew it could not be laudanum, Right. So the doctors were baffled. This doesn't make sense. Our patient says he didn't take anything, except maybe a little, little bit of laudanum. The symptoms don't have, clearly have nothing to do with laudanum. He's not telling us anything else. They were baffled almost immediately about this. Mrs. Cox had been helping to attend Charles all through that early morning hours. She kind of like signaled to one of the doctors and maybe a couple of them. We're not sure if it was one or two of them. And she said, Hey, I think I can help you better understand the situation. Maybe you come out in the hall. I'll tell you something. So they did. And she told the doctors that while Florence was not near the bed, he had called her, Mrs. Cox over and he had told her something in secret. Mrs. Cox said, Charles had said, quote, I've taken some of that poison. Don't tell Florence. So then that's, that's what Mrs. Cox said Charles had told her. Now she is telling the doctors that. The doctors naturally said, well, what oh, poison? poison. Yeah. And she said, oh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know what poison he's referring to. He just said that. So he basically admitted taking poison. In other words, whether it was suicide or accidental, he's admitting to her and she's now telling the doctors he committed suicide. He took the poison, and he's not telling you. He's yeah. doing a lot of them story because he doesn't want to tell you, and he doesn't want Florence to know. So,
1: Why would he tell her then?
0: It's a great question. <laughs> it's a very, very, very fair question.
1: Mrs. Cox. So Mrs. Cox
0: is clearly implying that he had poisoned himself. And maybe it's by accident, maybe it's suicide, but she's, that's for sure what she's trying to imply here. Yeah. Which, by the way, would have been the best possible outcome for the Bravo household Essentially being Florence and Mrs. Cox. Yeah. There's no suicide scandal. If it was just kind of an accident and he just, you know, and for sure no murder, that's even worse. But better yet, no Charles. Right. So this is this is a win-win-win if she can kind of sell this story. And that's how things remained. For we're going to find for a total of about three days. This again, this is weird. It was this kind of sickly stalemate. Charles is deathly ill. He slips in and out of consciousness. He's withering. He's dying. He would not tell his doctors and give them any hint of what he thought happened to him or what he should have known had happened to him, other than this very incredible laudanum story.
1: Yeah. I mean, if he's poisoned. By someone he yeah. doesn't know it he, he
0: he never told he didn't he, he would never tell him anything he'll he, find out in a minute what almost certainly was the medium for the poison, and he would have known immediately he he would have for sure known he was poisoned okay if he had been poisoned by someone else he would have known immediately that he was poisoned it know, had we'll,
1: to be after dinner right
0: yes we well, we'll trust me I'll okay. get there and you'll agree that he for sure, would, if he had been poisoned and it wasn't his own fault, he would he have known it. he was okay. poisoned immediately for sure. Okay. Bravo's doctors must have had their suspicions though, because they, again, they, they wouldn't stop asking him, help us out here. Right. We know the Lottam's bullshit. Tell us what's happening. You're in bad shape. Help us help you. But he, he refused to breathe an unkind word about anybody in the household, especially not Florence, his wife. Again, they weren't getting along yeah. well at all. He was very angry with her. Remember, he was there arguing over money and things like that, her money and things like that. And his, her,
1: her drinking.
0: And her drinking, yeah. They so they they weren't getting along at all. And her miscarrying and not um having sex with him immediately post-miscarries. Yeah. His own family rushed to his bedside. And I I don't know, there aren't any records of like a verbatim what they said, but you know that they were asking, what happened? Who did this to you? It was Florence, wasn't it? It was Florence. And we'll find out that they were very suspicious of Florence. In fact, later on, right. they're going to hire a private investigator to, to look into her. So you know they're also asking Charles, what happened to you? Tell us what happened to you. He would not. Huh? He, he, he told them the same story he told the doctors, which, again, the doctors know that's, there's yeah. no truth in that. Eventually, six doctors would attend to Charles Bravo during his sick period. Florence, even one of those six doctors that Florence called in was Dr. William Gall. He was the personal physician to Queen Victoria. And he, he um wait, is it Queen Victoria? Yes, Queen Victoria. <laughs> this is 19th century. I was going to get Elizabeth and Victoria a little bit mixed up. This is Queen Victoria time, the Victorian era. Yeah. So he called, he was the, Gall was the personal physician to the Queen. Have you heard that name, by the way? No. You two listeners, have you guys heard that name? I'll wait for an answer. <laughs> he. Is in modern times suspected of either being Jack the Ripper or oh. being the effectively like the aide de camp to Jack the Ripper. Who, when people say it was uh, the prince, uh, I think his name oh. was um, Clarence or something. I can't remember his name. But the, the, a lot of people think uh, a, a prince with syphilis, a royal uh, prince with syphilis, was Jack the Ripper and Gaul helped him.
1: You mean a son of. Queen Victoria. Correct. Oh wow. Yeah,
0: there's that's a common theory. It's, it's utterly ludicrous, it's yeah. nonsensical. We'll do Jack the Ripper one, one of these days, but the Gaul has been brought up as like going with him and helping him or covering up or something like that for yeah. him, and teaching him the, you know, the medical precision Jack the Ripper supposedly had or some people have actually posited Gaul himself as Jack the Ripper. Huh. Interesting. He, by the way, Gall had been a physician to Florence's father some years ago, so she had some connection. So she calls this guy, he's like the most most famous doctor in England, and she calls him in too to look after her husband. So everything, she's acting the right way. So Gall comes in, it's Thursday, April 20th now, it's two days into Charles's agonizing ordeal. For what it's worth, Gall thought Bravo had committed suicide, or at least he seems to, because he said this, whatever Mr. Bravo took, he took it himself. Why he thought that yeah. is not known. It may have just been a supposition, a guess, and may also have been loyalty to Florence's family, who he knew. He, right. he did not know Bravo's family. Yeah, The sixth and last doctor to come to the aid of Charles Bravo was a guy named Henry Smith. He was also a very prominent physician. He was the most direct yet with Charles. He flat out, bluntly told Charles, you're going to die. You're almost certainly going to die it, and it's probably not going to be that long from now. You really need to tell us the truth. Tell us what happened. We, if we have a ghost of a chance of saving your life, you need to tell us the truth enough with a lot in the story. Or, or at the very least, so you can ensure justice will be done. Even justice, right. like what if there, um, you die now and some innocent person gets accused of poisoning you if so, if you took a poison, in other words, if you committed suicide, right. you need to tell me now, and not because no one's going to believe the lot of them stuff. When we cut you open, they're not going to find lot of them. they're going to find something else. Tell us what that is, and tell us really what happened, so no one gets accused of murdering you if they didn't.
1: Isn't the treatment for poisoning pretty much the same for any kind of poison?
0: I don't think so. Like you, know, I don't know, but I don't think so. Activated
1: charcoal or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever I'm they do. Sure. I'm not sure. I mean. Is there an antidote to arsenic and an <laughs> antidote to cyanide? I don't know.
0: They they probably would be different treatments, though, for different poisons, I imagine. Especially in 19th century England, they didn't know what we did, what we know now. So they're I don't doing
1: know. nothing because they don't know exactly what the poison they're is? They're trying
0: to make him comfortable. Wow. I mean, he had stopped throwing up by this time, but he was in very, very bad shape. I'll get you to why he was in bad shape in a minute. It's awful. Okay. So again, Charles, even to Dr. Smith, he just repeats the same old Laudan story about the toothache. I mean Dr. Smith was uh, I tried.
1: yeah
0: Now you might think that Charles was maybe he was thinking about the future and that's why he's climbing up. Maybe he believed he was going to pull through and if he did pull through, for some reason it'd be good that no one knew the truth. So in other words, if someone had murdered him, maybe he's trying to keep that a secret because he'd have I don't know a trump card to play or if he had committed suicide and it and, and he, he never wanted anyone to know that right you know and if he did pull through so maybe he's trying to keep it secret, Logically, or there's some other reason, um, because he thought he might live, yeah. and therefore it'd be good for no, that no one knew that. But this is highly unlikely because there's pretty much no doubt that Charles knew for a fact he was going to die. Okay. He, Marianne Keeler, remember the maid? Yeah. She had been tending assiduously to Charles throughout this. She was very good and she was treating him well, doing everything she could for him. And so he kind of acknowledged this with some very kind words to her. He said, you know, thank you for this. And he also said, they're kind of chit-chatting when he was in his conscious state. And he said that the family had planned a trip to Worthing, which is a, a seacoast town. And he said he probably wasn't going to make it to that trip to Worthing. He said he would be heading instead for the Streatham Churchyard. And by that, he meant the cemetery.
1: Right.
0: Bravo also called his solicitors and made a will. He left everything to Florence. Well, so he was giving the house back to generous. her. Generous. And whatever else he had in his in his name, well, at least the house back to her. To her. Remember, she had given him yeah, the house. Again, so, her yeah, again, her house
1: to begin with. He had
0: some other things. He had a couple of nickels he could grab together. <laughs> <laughs> his clothes. Maybe. <laughs> again, the doctors begged Charles to tell him anything. He was keeping back, and he would not. And he finally, At one point, he just snapped to a doctor and said, if I knew what was I was suffering from, why the devil should I send for you? Which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> if you knew you were poisoned, you're still gonna wanna ha- call a doctor. Yeah. But he was just, he, I think he's just sick of being badgered at this time. He was clearly never gonna give up what he knew had happened to him. Hmm. Dr. Johnson took a sample of Charles's vomit.
1: I, he, c- I lost track. Which one is Dr. Johnson? One of the
0: six doctors. It okay. Doesn't matter.
1: Not the, not the Queen's doctor and no. not his He was the one who came with not- the cousin. Oh, gotcha. They're all
0: very, again, very, very eminent doctors. Mm -hmm. He took some of the vomit. He took it and did a a quick chemical analysis on his own back at the lab. I don't know wherever he was. (laughs) And he found nothing incriminating. Again, they didn't have great science back then, but they could tell some of the the key poisons. They had already checked the burgundy that he had drunk the night before. Nothing in that. Another key possible source was, and probably the most obvious source, was a carafe of water that Charles habitually used and kept at his bedside. Mm -hmm. So every night, he'd fill up this bottle of water, and he'd he'd usually gulp some down, drink some before he went to bed. It was just sort of a habit of his. And the remaining water was found to be free of poison, of course, can very easily, and we'll hear later that Mrs. Scotch would say that it was dumped and rinsed out. So. That's not, you know, it's not that telling that there was no poison found in the water because as it'll turn out, and I'll go ahead and spoil it now, it's almost certain, in fact, pretty sure that whatever the poison, whatever had killed him was in that water. Oh, He would have, every night, he had gulped down some water, and every important player in that house knew that.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Toward the end... Toward the end of his withering, suffering, horrible ordeal, <laughs> Charles's doctors had effectively they, – they gave up. You said what were they – at this point, they knew he was dying. It's just a matter of when, not if. Yeah. And so they kind of gave up. They kind of gave up. They couldn't think about anything else to do. And Florence seemed genuinely to be just beside herself and really – angst ridden and sad hmm. secretly Florence had also sought the help of a seventh doctor Jeez. you can imagine who that is that was Dr. Gully yeah. the old the old old flame yeah she quietly sent Mrs. Cox to ask Golly for his advice Golly suggested a homeopathic treatment and mustard plastered plasters so he was of no use whatsoever yep. Remember, Gulley had made his reputation. He was a hydrotherapist. Yeah, That was, in 19th century, hydrotherapy was pure quackery. Crack, it's not like, you know, there is legitimate hydrotherapy these days as part of physical you know, right. therapy and things like that. Completely, That's, that's fine. And in 19th century, hydrotherapy was ludicrous. You took, you know, long baths and things like that and it had mineral water and it was, you know, cure you of gout and all kinds of nonsense. That is, yeah. is absolutely not true. It was, it was pseudoscience back then. So Dr. Gulley was a pseudoscience. Homeopathy was then and is now pseudoscience, but it was, um, so he he, did, he couldn't help. So yeah. thanks. <laughs> Charles was very kind to Florence during his entire illness. Huh. Quote, what a bother I am to you, Flory, he said affectionately. He told her to remarry. And be happy if he if he died or should have been when he died. He asked her to take take care of his illegitimate daughter. Remember he had. Remember oh, she admitted yeah. the affair with Doctor Golly. He apparently I've, I've I've read later he found out the next day. I'm sorry she he told her the next day. Oh by the way you admitted your affair and I forgave you for it. Well I had an affair for four years. In fact I have a daughter. Yeah. So he. Asked her to take care, at least financially, of his, his daughter. He even went to his controlling mother, his harpy of a mother, who hated Florence, and he said, please be kind to her when I'm gone. Huh? So he's, he's doing kind of the right thing here at the, at the end. That's weird. That end finally came on Friday morning, April 21st, at about 5.30 a.m. A parade of family and friends had come to his bedside. There had been six doctors. There had been lots of servants. He had known he was dying pretty much the entire time. He was suffering horribly, and yet whatever secret Charles Bravo had to tell about the cause of his demise, he took that to the grave. So if Charles had ended his life in a forgiving mood, his family, particularly that mother of his, was not of the same persuasion. Mm -hmm. They felt for sure, he was poisoned deliberately and with malice. Right. They were certain, that is to say, that he'd been murdered and they hired a private detective. That You'll find out later, they, they would soon thereafter hire hired a private detective and immediately they demanded an inquest and an investigation into how their son had died.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The private detective was probably not a bad idea because the police botched it. Yeah. This is 19th century police. They're not very good. But it was eight days before they even spoke to Mrs. Cox or Florence and asked them for their version of the events to be on the record, which is not good. Detectives of the time, that I mean, they were very poorly equipped to really tackle any murder that actually required detection. Right. They could solve things if, you know, oh, yeah, no, no. So the woman was killed. Uh, her uh, ex-boyfriend threatened her. They could handle that. Anything that took like cleverness, not good. Yeah. If they had a confidential informant, if they had someone tell who, who did it, they could handle it. Otherwise, they, they weren't good. They basically, at this point, they really just clean up messes and, and mostly solved like thievery and stuff like that, and mostly among the lower classes and working right. classes. Yeah. Virtually all police officers were from the working class. They weren't even detectives, by the way, were generally speaking from middle to lower middle class they and and cops were often from very the the lowest Mm -hmm. class so they were very reticent to ask their quote betters anything at all let alone about a murder let alone kind of implying you know we suspect you yeah so they were very they they were not going to get to the bottom of this and they didn't and the upper class would return the same attitude and not give them the time of day and there was really nothing to force them to do so. Anyway, most cops were just, were, were just, you know, I'm sorry to ask you just a couple of questions. Yeah. Okay. I'll leave. So on one end, Charles's powerful family is trying to work to investigate her, hiring a private detective and demanding an inquest. On the other end is Florence and her family. Remember their prominent family as well. Yeah. Her father had even been a justice of the peace and a high sheriff, So oh. he had law enforcement connections, a significant ones. he, laughed at a police investigation, thought it was a waste of time. He also bragged that I'm not worried. I can arrange for a suicide verdict in five minutes if I want to. Yeah. So nothing's gonna happen here, which is not not a super smart attitude, public attitude to take, but he did. He and he kind of could. We'll we'll find yeah. out in a second. He also hired a very prominent Barrister named Sir Henry James at the time. So, sort of just in case you're in standby, if if my daughter gets into legal trouble,
1: well, that was nice of him.
0: That was nice of him. They again, they had after the marriage, they had stopped shutting her out. Right. James Henry James was the best friend of William Gladstone. He was the former and would be the future Prime Minister of England. So, this guy was oh. pretty well connected. Okay. Florence's father also arranged for the eminent Dr. Gall to also be on standby and to testify on Florence's behalf if it came to that as well. So he was getting ready to, you know, defend her with all his connections and all his might. Yeah. First, though, there had to be an autopsy for obvious reasons. So the post mortem showed that the doctors had been right. Charles Bravo had been poison, but it was no accidental overdose of laudanum as they always knew and never believed it was. Any thoughts? Any guesses on what the poison was that killed him? You arsenic. probably don't. No. You think arsenic and cyanide, but this is not that. It was something called antimony. Oh. It's also called tartar emetic, and it was a lot of it, hmm. a gargantuan dose of it. So four is usually taken in a tiny amount. I, I imagine less than a grain of it, and a tiny amount, as as is used for uh, as tartar emetic is used to induce vomiting. Right? Yeah. Four grains can kill an adult human. Ooh. They found 30 grains in what was left of the shredded innards of Charles Bravo. This was no accident. This was almost certainly huh. lethal intent. That's a massive amount.
1: Okay. So wait, how many grains would kill a person? Four.
0: They so, found thirty, so, so seven why did and a half time days to kill him. That's a great question. Good constitution <laughs> <laughs> so, but they found a just a massive a massive 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 dose. Yeah. I don't know if it would kill you I don't know if even I, I, four against would kill you. I didn't say it kill you instantly.
1: no, that'd probably but, take days I as mean, well. I
0: imagine so again, a is also called tartar emetic. It was used pretty commonly to induce vomiting. Which, of course, Charles was doing in copiously. Yeah. But here's the key: Intimidy is very caustic at these high doses. The amount of Intimidy that he took had burned the tissue along Charles's mouth, his throat, and his stomach, all the way down to his alimentary canal, which we also know as the poop chute. Yeah. It had settled in his intestines. Finally after doing this horrific damage on the on damage on the way down and there it had left his intestines swollen and blistered just brutally burned his large intestine had been so ravaged and just almost completely corroded. It was basically gone. It was just destroyed. It was how shredded. How's he able to talk? That's a how he lived three days yeah. is remarkable. It,
1: yeah, think
0: about that. His, his insane pain. It's like an acid going down your body, yeah. burning everything on the way down. Even his mouth. Yeah, and settling your stomach and just shredding it to bits. Yeah, it's horrific. He was in. Uh, he was in just unbelievable pain. Yeah. So. Earlier, when he cried out, "Florence, Florence, hot water, hot water," I guarantee you the tone of his voice would have indicated this is an emergency yeah. to anybody in that house for sure. He was in horrific pain. Charles had the habit, member of taking that flask or that bottle of water with him to bed every night and gulps some down. A tartar medic easily dissolves in water and is basically tasteless. It's on the way oh. down. That you start at at that amount. Remember, you can you people took it all the time, yeah, but in a tiny, tiny dose. Thirty grains going down did what they did to him, and just destroyed the inside of him. Yeah. So Charles had done this, gulped the water, and you know realized what was happening. He. that's why I argue he had immediately known something horrible just happened to me. I've been poisoned. Right. Whether he thought it was an accident or purpose doesn't matter. He would have known immediately that something horrific just happened and he starts throwing up.
1: Is this something that they had in the house?
0: Yes. Okay. We'll see why. So this makes his reluctance to say anything that happened to him and to not even admit that absurd and, right. and, and, and uh, all the more baffling. So So- he, he always, he we know he was lying about the Laudam the entire time. Obviously, since they didn't find any Laudam assistant, they found a ton of antimony. Yeah. He had to have known how that antimony got into his body. It was almost certainly the water bottle. And he had to have known that someone had put that in there and poisoned him. Right. And, and for three days, he will not give that person up. Or hmm. even who he suspects would have done it. And we all know he, who he would have suspected to have done it.
1: And maybe he has a conscience and he knew how badly he had treated Florence.
0: I actually have an argument and for that. he was making up for it. Maybe, maybe.
1: He thought, yeah, I deserve this.
0: <laughs> this is karma. Karma's a bitch, but you know what? I deserve a bitch. Mm-hmm. So with the finding of death by Intimity, an inquest was now a certainty. They were not able to fight off an inquest anymore. At this yeah. point, they, you know, the, the family is able to fight it off. So Florence... Florence's family connections, though, could still help with that inquest. So on April 25th, 1876, the inquest was held. Where you might ask? Florence's house, the priory. <laughs> That's nice. What does she do with the jury members while they're um hearing testimony?
1: You know, she gives them nice snacks and
0: You're wine. She for sure did. She <laughs> served refreshments. Yeah during the course of the inquest into her possible murder of her husband. I would, too.
1: She's a civilized lady.
0: She is. She's a good hostess. But that's a fairly ridiculous way to have an inquest.
1: Well, it's ridiculous that it's at her house. It is.
0: It is. The coroner was a friend of Florence's father. And so he made no announcement to the press. He scheduled the inquest. He got a jury. He impaneled it and told no one. He kept it completely on the down low, purposely and knowingly. He did not even call Florence as a witness. Oh, Would have been one of the, really the two or three main witnesses for sure. Two doctors who had attended to Charles during, of the six who had attended to Charles during his, his horrible end, told how he had claimed to have used laudanum for toothache and that maybe he took too much. They said, quote, he said, I have taken some of that poison, but don't tell Florence. Again, I, I, this is what Mrs. Cox had told them. So I, I assume right. with that testimony, they're, they're relaying what Mrs. Cox had told them. Yeah. He denied, deliberately, deliberately poisoned himself though to the doctors. And, and again, would not lay the blame on others. So he apparently, according to the doctors, it seems as if he was trying to imply it was an accident completely. Again, though, he was saying it in the sense yeah. of it being a, a, a laudanum to treat a toothache. And, and they know that was not true. I and mean, we now, again, yeah. f- from the postmortem, we know it could never have been true.
1: And he couldn't have said that to Mrs. Cox after taking it. Well, he. he because he wouldn't have been able to calmly do that.
0: What? he He, he for sure said it after taking it.
1: According to Mrs. Cox,
0: yes, Well, no, but if
1: he had taken he could have said that about the laudanum, he couldn't have said that uh, about the antimony because after he, having taken that much, he couldn't have calmly come in and said, no, 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 he oh, didn't calmly come in he
0: he would have she said he told like at at his bedside, oh, so during his three day sickness, at some point when Florence was not in the room, he had told Mrs. Cox said he had told her I took some poison,
1: oh, I completely misunderstood, yeah, That's- I thought. He came and told her as she was sitting there knitting. No, 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 no. no, And Florence was passed out. No, way,
0: way off, Carrie, way (laughs) off. So it's, I mean, it's plausible. It's not impossible. But, but again, the doctors knew it was not true. So there's no, I mean, even though the Laudam story is not true and we know it was intimidating, there's still no, they have no evidence during this inquest to suggest who might have done it if there was any intent at all.
1: Well, 100% Mrs. Cox. Why? Because what evidence
0: do they have that she put the lot put um intimacy in his water?
1: They don't. But I would assume what she said is a lie.
0: Yeah, it it was well. A you can't assume that, and it's just the two of them. And B, so she could have been trying to just you know
1: because why would he tell her but not his doctor?
0: I don't know. I think you're making too much of it. It doesn't. It doesn't indicate a guilt for her at all, though if she did lie if it was a lie and it probably was yeah it could have been well we'll actually we'll we'll to, talk about that to yeah to to
1: take the suspicion off of herself and or, or and or Florence. Our Florence
0: for sure we'll get to that in a bit okay the coroner remember friend of the family yeah concluded right away that hey guess what he said the doctors who first came there assumed it was suicide must have been suicide. Let's just say it was suicide. He wrote, quote, the deceased died from the effects of poison antimony, but we have not sufficient evidence under what circumstances it came into his body. Unquote. He urged the jury to give an open verdict suggesting suicide, maybe an accident, but to give no indication of how Charles came to be poisoned or by whom. The jury did exactly that. They gave an open verdict and essentially made no kind of any kind of implication of anything. Yeah. They just said, we don't know we're done Inquest over. Yeah. Okay. The Bravo family, not happy, <laughs> not pleased at all by that. They, they again, believe Charles was murdered. They're pretty sure it was Florence. So I, I think it's at this point that they hired the detective. The private detective is actually a Scotland yard, active detective acting in a private capacity for them, yeah. which was not uncommon at the time, yeah. is for sure. Uh, I, well, you know, police do a lot more moonlining than we realize, yeah. usually as security. Uh, but yeah, this was a situation where even a detective could be paid off by a powerful family to look into a case privately, and he did. Calls for a more thorough second inquest came about almost immediately, though, especially when, I guess, the media, the press at the time, the newspapers, they discovered that a former horse groomsman at, who worked at the priory? His name is George Griffith. He had been fired by Charles back when he was still alive. Yeah. And so really angry. He had gone to a bar that same day, and he angrily foretold that Charles would not live for more than a few months. Oh. It's like, hmm, that's obviously coincidental because Charles did not live for more than a few months. Yeah. And Timothy also was in the household. It was used to battle worm infestations in the horses. Charles okay. was a groom, so he had ready access to intimity. I think they also had some as a Tartar medic in the house. Yeah. But George Griffith, this this groom who had basically, you know, said Charles was going. It's George Griffith. I'm sorry. Who said Charles was going to die? Yeah. We know he had ready access to intimity. But so how, this gets how everybody did he thinking. Get it
1: in the craft, the bedside craft.
0: That that's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. So well, we'll we'll get to that. And do you want me to spoil it? No. Okay. Good. Meanwhile. As if to prove her own innocence as suspicion spread toward Florence, which mm-hmm. is, is natural in the circumstances, she put up a 500-pound reward for information about anything that any, anybody knew about what happened to her husband. It's about 90,000 dollars in today's Whoa. money.: So a very significant reward, but, I mean, you know, if she had done it, she knows no one else is going to yeah. know. So it'd be.: She,
1: her. I, I, I don't think she did it.
0: We'll see. We'll see. On June 2nd. She and Jane Cox were deposed by their solicitors. I think they did this to try to, again, um, I, my opinion, I think they did this to, to set up a story, or at least, but they wanted to have a deposition to have their, their testimony on record, so mm-hmm. they went this, but they also had a lawyer, a solicitor working for the Bravo family was there to cross-examine them, so they... Said everything about how nasty Charles was, and said he was terrible, and he was verbally abusive, even physically abusive. If you recall he did slap her a few times, yeah. and that he he was a nasty guy, right? But the affair with Dr. Golly came up and was also covered in this testimony. I am going to presume that it was at the the questioning of, of the solicitor for the Bravo family. Yeah, this was the first time that affair was publicly exposed to everybody. Again, kind of the upper crust. A lot of those folks knew about it, but now it became. Complete public knowledge that she had had this affair with this really old married doctor, right before her marriage. Y- yes, but during that guy's marriage. Yeah. No, 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 wait. Yeah, no, don't, but, yeah, but during her marriage to Alexander Ricardo. Yeah, as you call. It. Yeah. So although t- although they would say that they didn't actually consummate that relationship until after Alexander died, that's right. a little bit questionable. Yeah. So the affair with Doctor Golly was talked about. Jane Cox also testified at, at these depositions. And she changed her story a little bit. Now, remember she said that um, Charles had called her over to the bedside and said, I took poison, don't tell Florence. Now she said, she changed it just a hair. She said that, quote, I have taken poison for gully don't tell Florence. This, most people took this to indicate that he was saying, I did it out of jealousy towards Gulley's because of gully because I hated gully so much and I hated the relationship he had with my wife, so that's why I took the poison and, and killed myself. Okay. She sort of just sort of added to it. She sort of elaborated yeah. on that. How she forgot to say the words Fogoli the first time when she told right. the doctors is, is unclear. So here's my th- thoughts. Was this intentional? Was Florence admitting the affair? Because they didn't have to do this this testimony, this, this depositions, right? They didn't have to do that. Yeah. This wasn't an inquest. Florence admitted the affair, right? Jane Cox also talks about the affair. And she now changes what she said to indicate that... Charles had killed himself over Gaully. yeah It almost seems like a strategy to me that they're yeah. kind of giving a, a, a better story of why he would have killed himself. That's my supposition. Though. OK. Finally, though, the pressure gets too great, and a second inquest is called. It starts on July 11th, and this one was held at the far more neutral Bedford Hotel in Balam, not at you know, the potentially accused house yeah. Florence and Jane again testified about how mean Charles was, how he's abusive, et cetera. Also that he was fiercely jealous of Gully and he had threatened to leave Florence on multiple times, thinking she was still carrying on in some fashion with Gully Yeah. At least that's what they testified. Uh, this testimony, as you can see, kind of reinforces those earlier depositions. And, it, and it, to me at least, it kind of again possibly implies a coordinated effort to establish this motive for suicide. Yeah. Dr. It's George Johnson. Mo-
1: it's a dumb motive
0: for. Suicide. It is, but they, you know, it, I, feel, I feel like they're they're providing a motive yeah. for, it, however believable it is or not. Yeah. Now, Dr. George Johnson, he is one of Charles's attending physicians, as you recall. He had not been allowed to testify at the first deposition. Yeah. A uh, first inquest, rather. He is is able I, at this one, and also he tells reporters after he testifies that he believed Charles had not committed suicide, essentially implying that he had been murdered. Yeah. Back at the inquest, they had some character witnesses uh, for Charles, including the servants, by the way, and other friends of his. And they refuted Cox and Florence's testimony. They said Charles was a swell guy. What? Yeah. They said he was absolutely not suicidal. He, you know, he was in love with her. The servants testified that they had never witnessed the kind of abuse that the two women had described. Is that true? I don't know. I don't think so. I think they just probably kept it. You know, all those servants typically know everything that's yeah. going on. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? But I mean, it's I mean, it's weird if there was nothing and he was. We know for a fact he was a dick. He was greedy. Remember, yeah. he told that solicitor, "I'm not screw you right. but with your congratulations. I'm here for the check." So I, I, you, I think the servants are being nice, or even or but, even were paid off.
1: But. Well, I yeah, I was gonna say by the family. Yeah, that, my, paid off by his family. I have no idea why wouldn't they be loyal to their yeah, actual employer, the one who is still alive, or or maybe they genuinely maybe he was. If you do this, like well, you know, I I'd fire you.
0: Maybe he was good at doing those things without servants around. It's possible, yeah. you know. And who Mrs. knows?
1: Cox was more privy to the much more. She I told stuff. Mrs.
0: Cox everything. She yeah. didn't tell any of the servants that. So it's possible they're telling the truth, and he still was abusive. Yeah. You're not buying it? Nope. Okay. Remember Griffith? He was the fired groom? Yeah. Who predicted death. He was brought in, too, for the second inquest. He admitted that he had said the whole going to be dead in a few months thing, but he said it's because he had heard Charles had been bitten by a dog. Which oh, sure. It's like, and? What, so? Yeah. You, wait, you thought he had rabies or something and he was going to die in a few months? I have no idea. Yeah. It's, not, it's not clear at all why he said what he said. Something said something about, always oh, looking for the reward. How is that going to get him the reward, the yeah. 500 pounds? I don't, I don't know. I really don't. Hmm. And it didn't matter, though, because George Griffiths, uh, um, his employer, alibied him and said he was with me at the day of the incident. It was like 65 miles away. Oh, so okay. he, had, he could not have physically done it. Okay. Mrs. Cox seemed to relish talking about Florence's affair, by the way she seems she's a little different here in the second inquest.
1: yeah
0: she uh, mentioned how mrs how Florence had become pregnant by golly and had had the abortion. It seems like there's a little the bit of a break here
1: completely not relevant
0: I, it does I, I mean, she's probably be answering these questions under yeah. the solicitors for the bravos, but I, I don't know yeah. and um I, I mean, here's I, one theory is that. There was some suspicion toward her, remember, as well. She could have done it as well. So maybe she's like, okay, push come to shove. I'm going to throw Florence under the bus if it comes to me. Right. I love her, but I ain't going down. (laughs) I'm, I'm not hanging. So she was forced to admit to having met Dr. Garley several times during Florence's marriage leading up to Charles's death, which is, so was there still a relationship and she was a go-between? I don't know. Huh. But it does seem like, like what are you meeting him for? What is he doing exactly? He, his, he doesn't come out well in this one either. Yeah, Cox claimed that, it, oh, well, I just met him accidentally at the train station. That's all. And so they then brought witnesses who could verify that they were seen together five times times, not just once at the train station. Yeah. So something was going on there. I'm, I'm not sure what exactly. Huh. Cox, Jane Cox, said she had asked Dr. Goley, Dr. Goley for some medication because Florence was not sleeping well. So she goes, oh, oh, those other four times? I was just trying to get some sleeping medication for Florence. So they said, okay, where's the medication? Show us the medication. She said, oh, I threw it away because Florence said she didn't need it anymore. So there's some there's some weirdness yeah. going on with with her story here, for sure. Yeah, weirdest yet, though. One of the two doctors that uh uh, doc, uh that Cox said she had told. Remember, she said she had told that. Oh, Charles said to me he'd take the poison himself. He she uh one of those doctors said she never told me that. So she may have been lying about that. I think at least one of the doctor must have must have verified it otherwise. Yeah. All, everything I know says that one of the doctors said he had not told her that. So it's possible well, she had exaggerated yeah. how many doctors she had told that, and she only told one. Right. I don't know.
1: Yeah.
0: Asked how she now felt about Florence, Sarah Cox said, quote, I think she might have spared me many of these painful inquiries to which I have been subjected, end quote. So she may have also just been pissed off. And it's and here's think about that quote. Think about that saying. It's kind of a slick way to imply that Florence could have poisoned Charles and show and so push suspicion toward Florence and away from Mrs. Cox herself. Yeah. But it's also plausibly deniable that oh no, that's not what I meant. Are you are you mad at me? I yeah. didn't mean that at all. Of course not. I didn't mean that. I just meant that, you know, you could have helped me. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's a pretty it's a clever thing to say, and it's kind of sleazy. It's yeah. kind of throwing her under the bus a little bit. Yeah the jury heard about Charles's you know, nightly water bottle habit, all that kind of thing, and how this would have been the perfect way to poison him. Again, I think it's just, it's just kind of a, uh, in this case, people just assume that's how he was poisoned, and yeah. it's almost certainly true. One of the doctors, though, said he had drunk out of that water bottle and suffered no ill effects. Now, this is dumb in two ways. One, are you an idiot? You have yeah. a poison patient Are you're going <laughs> to drink out of his water bottle, you <laughs> shithead? Two, so What? Obviously, yeah. the water bottle would have been the uh, any murderer would have dumped that water and put in new water. So, yeah. whatever. So, doctors can be stupid too, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Florence and Dr. Gauley were both called in to testify as well, by the way. And they were relentlessly interrogated about their affair again sure. from the Bravo solicitor. I, I don't know if that's, it, I, I guess, to prove maybe that they had motive that maybe they hope you guys are gonna kill the husband to get back together and you'd be free of him, maybe, I suppose, or maybe just to to make you know character assassination. Yeah. Charles's stepfather hired again hired the to solicitor to cross-examine the happy couple, and that guy badgered Florence to the point where she begged for protection. Quote, I refuse to answer any more questions about Dr. Gully. This inquiry is about the death of my husband, and I appeal to the jury as men and as Britons to protect me. End quote. I know that's a Southern <laughs> Belle accent, and she's English, but I can't help myself. So... She, like, make him leave me alone. He's badgering me. Your Honor, Your Honor, <laughs> I do believe I have the vapors. Is I assume how that went down? In my, in my mind, it is. Anyway, uh-huh. Dr. Golly was actually, you know, he was like, like, stop, you know, this is getting old, yeah. kind of a thing. He just, so he kind of shrugged it off, but his reputation was being t- torn t- asunder. Yeah. So the inquest lasted 32 days. So on finally October, wow. on, I'm sorry, on August 11th, With no real evidence of foul play brought to bear, the jury returned another inconclusive decision, but this one had a real clear direction. Quote, we find that Mr. Charles Delaney Turner Bravo did not commit suicide, that he did not meet his death by misadventure, that he was willfully murdered by the administration of Tartar Medic, but there is not sufficient evidence to fix the guilt upon any person or persons, unquote. we know he was murdered. We know how he was murdered. We can't say who did it. We're done. But hint, hint, someone needs to look into this a little further.
1: I have a theory that's inconsistent with that.
0: You do? Mm-hmm. Tell me.
1: Do you want to know now? Are we going to have a third part? Yes. Okay.
0: So that is part two of the mystery murder of Charles Brown. Next will be part three wow. in which we go through the possible suspects and the and and I have a theory. I, I, will, do too. I will present. Uh, Carrie has a theory as I well. I have a
1: theory, and I better write it down. So you I should write forget. it down
0: right now. <laughs> yes. So we'll go through that. We'll go through all the suspects and what is the most plausible scenario. Well, at least what we think is the most plausible scenario. And then we'll wrap it up with what happened to the main players here and end it with that. So thank you okay. for listening. Until next time.